0: Hey, welcome to High Resolution. My name is Bobby Ghoshaw. And I'm Jared Arandu. We're sitting down with 25 masters of the design industry. We're in New York now. It's cold. It's the middle of winter. We don't care. We're outdoors, helicopters flying around, and we're here for one thing. We're here to learn how the best companies in the world approach, communicate, and deploy design.
1: In this episode, we're speaking with Rochelle King. Rochelle is the VP of Design and Insights at Spotify. She's going to talk about the relationship between design and data, how to define metrics, and how to debate your ideas.
0: Stay tuned, we're gonna get right to this episode after this partner message. Thanks to Squarespace for their
1: support. Whether you need a domain, a website, or an online store, make your next move at Squarespace. Visit squarespace.com and enter the code HIGH RESOLUTION, one word, for 10% off your first purchase. Michelle, thanks for joining us.
2: Sure, of course.
1: All right, first question. What's one thing about design that's clear to you that you feel is not so clear to other people?
2: I think that sometimes there's this myth of the genius designer who can go off on their own and just come up with the right answer. Uh, but in reality, it doesn't work like that at all. And you can never do design in a vacuum. You always have to involve other people and other disciplines in part of that conversation. So I would say that's the...
0: Is that something you teach every designer, like every new young designer that comes into Spotify? Is that the first thing they learn?
2: I, I don't know if we're that regimented. <laughs> I think, I'll, I mean, it just depends on what people feel. Like some people, yeah. some people grow up thinking that that's how it works. Yeah. Um, and so then of course, you know, you want to have that conversation of like, no, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people now, I think, recognize that it's a collaborative sport, you know, that you actually have to involve different folks. And the more different opinions you get, the better off you are. So. Yeah.
1: So one thing I find interesting is, uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of misunderstandings about design. And data seems to be one of the topics that have come up recently, right? Um, and I've been to many events where there are people like just pushing for, the, for data in design, but it's pretty difficult without some level of understanding to know how to actually fit data into your workflow, right? Um, so I'm really curious to hear, outside of that, what are some other misconceptions that you find designers have about data?
2: Yeah, Actually, um, I think maybe we can start by defining what data is okay. first, yeah. because that's probably one of the things that leads to the misconceptions. Yeah. So when I talk about data, I think about data comes in many, many forms, uh, and it comes in many shapes and sizes, right? And so there's big data, which is most people what most people think of when they hear data. And that's, you know, like from results from A-B testing or you have millions of customers and that's the data you gather on them. But there's also small data, which is, you know, what you gather from user research or usability studies or ethnographic studies, right? Data is just information about your customers and your users. Um, And if you start to think about that, then it broadens your idea of what data is and what kind of constraints it can put on you. Um, So I think the biggest mispronunciation conception about data and design is that it somehow constrains you, that it stifles creativity. But if we start to talk about data as not just getting A-B testing results from millions of users, that it's actually all these different forms of data, whether it's, you know, learning more about user behavior or understanding them deeper in some other way, you can start to see how data actually helps to inform your design process rather than constrain it. And it actually helps to empower your design process instead of, you know, just deciding, you know, what works or what doesn't.
0: So do you think data is, data is more than numbers, right? Because you can, I mean, it can be observational. Yeah. Um, It can be words.
2: It's information.
0: It's information, right? Because I I feel like that's one of the things I get from designers when they think about data. They immediately jump to, oh my God, it's math. Mm -hmm. I can't do math. Mm -hmm. Don't show me the graph. Just tell me what it is and I'll try and figure it. Right? So, so. How do, you, how do you build that confidence in someone, uh, in, in a designer, to, to get them to understand that it's not necessarily about math, per se, it's just about understanding and insight?
2: Yeah, um, one of the things that I say all the time is that um, data is numbers, but remember that behind every single one of those numbers is a real human being, mm. and so there's something about being able to make the connection that what those numbers are telling you about or what that information is telling you about are real people right and it's real human behavior that we're measuring and designers always have a lot of empathy for humans and they really pride themselves on being empathetic to different people so you know data helps you be empathetic with not just one person at a time but with millions of people at a time Mm -hmm. and if you start to see it like that then it becomes much more um, approachable maybe you know much more easier to see how it bridges back to the work that you're doing on a daily basis.
0: So it all comes back to human beings in the end.
2: Yeah, all this yeah. Time.
0: <laughs> So what? So what is the ideal relationship of a designer and data? So when you think about, yeah. right, so like a data scientist has a very specific relationship to data. What is a designer's relationship to data? So
2: I think it's, um, so I, um, you know, I often like to think about it as a conversation, right? So designers should be engaging, and you engage in conversations all the time. Um, and it's part of that riffing mm-hmm. um, that creates great work, right? So if we think about data as being um, this language that your customers are using to talk back to you, right? You did something to the experience. Yeah. Did that improve their experience or did it re- you know, somehow make their experience worse? You can measure that, mm-hmm. right? But that's them then speaking back through the data to you mm-hmm. about whether it was working or not. Mm-hmm. And then you react to that, You try something else and you put that back out there. And I think that thinking about that relationship as being a conversation where it's informing you, you try something else out, you see if the conversation comes back in this way, like that's actually a really good way to think about the relationship to data. So then it's also something that you don't just use at one point in time, because conversations are ongoing, right? And sometimes conversations between people last for years, right? Mm -hmm. We're having an ongoing relationship that is changing over time because I'm learning more things about you So we talk about different things and then you learn, you know. So that's what I think we're trying to emphasize is that it's really about creating this conversation with your customers and data is the tool that helps you do that.
1: I'm really curious about this relationship you speak about with data, right? Um, You've written a book on this subject, Designing with Data. Yes. Okay. And there are three terms that you speak about in this book. There is design-driven Sorry, data-driven, right. data-informed, right. and the third one I'll, I'll let you speak on. Yeah. Um, but I'm really curious to hear how you define those terms sure. because I'm really curious about those relationships.
2: Okay, so the three terms are data-driven, data-informed, and data-aware. Uh, and with data-driven design, you know the exact answer that you're seeking and, and it can be answered by data, right? And sometimes we talk about that like you're on a... You're at a train station and you see a train track going, you know it goes in one direction, you know it's going to point you in the right direction, and you just need to get to that destination. Um, Data informed is where you want to be aware. You know, it's not that you just need a clear answer, yes or no, but you want to get some directional um, indication from the data about if you're pointed in the right direction or not. And so, data is just one of many inputs that you might use um, to making your decision, um, your design decisions. Other inputs could also be instinct and gut, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. we always think that data. Using data means that you've completely set aside the instinct or or gut. It's not either or. And I think that's what data informed acknowledges is that sometimes you have to balance those two things. And so in data informed, we talk about it like, you know, you're at a train station and you have many different routes that you could go, but you know that you're going to want to follow one of those, but you're just a little bit more open um, to the different directions you could take. Um, And the third one is data aware. And that's where we're saying that, you know, there really is, it's acknowledging that conversation between data and the designer, how you design actually defines the kind of data that you can collect back. You're aware of that relationship and then you use that data to inform you know the next thing that you do. And so it's just having a larger um, perspective on where it is that you're trying to go and what you're trying to get to. And so there sometimes we use this transfer metaphor of it's not a train or you're at a train station mm-hmm. where you know what kind of trans- but There's actually a whole world out there to explore and you might use many different Methods to get there. You could get there by train or by walking or by boat or these different things. And so you're, you know, you have a larger perspective of what you might be able to use data for and what kind of data you might use to, to make that decision. I don't know if that answer was really clear.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I actually. So I'm in a design process. Assume yes. that it's one of the classic design processes, right? Is there? Um, Is there a moment where data-driven versus data awareness matters, or is it less about the process, more about the problem?
2: It's about the problem, right, and then the the scope of the problem. So when might data-driven make sense? It's like, you know, like, I want to know if it should be uh, this, but the word should say this or that. It's a yes or no answer. It's very clear. It's it's very simple. It's a very mm-hmm. simple example. That's data-driven. Right? That, can be, that can be answered through data. You just want to know, Got do it. more people click on this or that? I think data-aware is when you're really thinking about, like, there's a larger problem space that you're trying to solve, mm-hmm. right? And and you want to think about all the—remember earlier I was saying that data comes in many forms? Yeah. Well, it comes in many forms, and those those data tools have different uses, mm-hmm. right? And you want to pick the right tool for the right point in time. And sometimes you'll want to use many of them, and sometimes you might just want to use only one or two of them, right? So you might want to start to inform your design process by doing some ethnographic studies and, yeah. and getting more information from users. And then later you'll build something out with a prototype, and then maybe you'll want to get some you know, testing data back on that. Maybe you'll want to get a survey, right? And, and all of those things will add different color and light uh, to your problems. Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes it's sort of like, how specific or wh- how narrow is the scope of the problem that you're trying to solve, mm-hmm. versus how large it is, you know, yeah. how many mul- how, how many facets are to the problem that you're trying to investigate. Yeah. Those are all things that I think weigh into that that range of where you fit.
0: So what is the relationship to a designer and a, say, a data scientist or a data analyst?
2: Yeah. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is calling them data friends, um. which are just like people who work with data.
0: Have you guys made t-shirts?
2: No, we should. <laughs> should That's totally a good idea. A That's, That's a totally good yeah. idea. Um, but uh, <clears throat> actually, we did have a designer and a, um, a person who works with data make t-shirts that said "I'm with him" and "I'm with her" nah. right? for like a talk that they gave. Yeah. So we've done that. Um, <clears throat> but I think that uh, I think that there should be like a friendly relationship, right? Yeah. And you should recognize each other's strengths, mm-hmm. right? And how actually compatible you are with each other. So one of the things that I think we encourage is for our designers to work really closely with folks who work with data, um, again, whether it's big data or small data, and for them to actually like, work with each other to try to unravel the problem or to work with each other to try to understand the results of the data that you got back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that having those conversations is really important and to not see it as like, I did my bit, now it's in your court, you did your bit, tell me the answer back. Yeah. It's really about making sure that you're working you know, more in parallel. I, I actually
0: recall in your book you mentioned that designers also have a responsibility to give back to the data collection, right? To, to yeah. ask better questions to so yeah. the data team. Can yeah. you expand on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think um, if you think about it, like, uh, here's a really dumb example, but if, if you created a design that has a huge button on yeah. it, like, obviously the data that you collect, like, that design is going to influence the data that you're going to collect, yeah. right? And you have to be aware of what your design does to collect that data. And I think it's more about really understanding what it is that you want to learn and think about crafting designs not to ship them to the customer, but crafting designs to help you learn as much as possible about the customer um, and what you want to understand about them. Yeah. Does that it's a it's a very it's subtle nuance. Yeah. But if you're thinking that I'm going to ship this just to get it out so you can use it. Yeah. Um, I'll probably spend more time on different things, like polishing different aspects of it. But if I'm trying to ship to understand if you would rather do this or that, then I would probably craft designs that are very different from each other, one that is optimized for case A and one that is optimized for case B. And then seeing the results from that, I'm going to learn something back.
1: So it seems like in order for that to work, uh, you have to have an iterative culture, right? They couldn't couldn't think that that first... Design solution was the solution if your goal is to learn.
2: I guess what I would say is like one thing that I wanted that we have to be careful about too is like um, iterative is true, um, but I think that sometimes people take iterative and they mean that that only means you're going like small tweak, small tweak, small tweak, right? And I think we also want to make sure that people don't think that that when you're working with data, you can only make small steps. You know, you have to also do like large scale concept testing and do different things. So the part of iterative that is important to remember is that this isn't just one, st- one ship and I'm done. Yeah. It's the first in a series of things that I will be shipping and will be learning along the ways. Yeah. And then I start to think about, like, okay, in this first stage of shipping, here's what's most important for me to learn first. Mm-hmm. Then if I get this answer back, I might go in this direction. Okay. And if yeah. I go and th- get this answer back, I might go in a different direction. Right? Pre- so I'm already pre-thinking about yeah. what that what those Got next it. steps might yeah. be. Yeah. Then I get the answer back and I go, oh, wow, that's interesting. It was more this one that was correct. Yeah okay, now I'm going to make sure I design for this space and see where in that I want to go. Oh, found you know, and forks yeah. again and again. So I think it's more thinking about the serial nature. And remember we were talking about that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. Conversation isn't like you just tell me one answer and then I go, thanks, and I walk away. Yeah. It's two-way. It's two-way, and it continues.
1: And sometimes you know the yeah. different routes it can go yeah. with a right. statement. Right.
2: You say, I like action movies, and then I go, oh, really? She like, does. It. No,
1: she does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she
2: right. right yeah. 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 And then yeah. I go, oh, yeah, me too. I like this. Oh, yeah, okay. And then, then we start to build on that. But if I said, you know, you said, I like action movies. like, yuck, that's awful. Then you would say, like, okay, I'm going to go this direction yeah. instead, right? Yeah. And that starts to inform your next um, steps.
1: So I'm a designer at a company. I'm, there is no data person at this company. I've just heard this episode and I'm like, okay, I want to try this thing. I want to try data, right? Yeah. Where do I start?
2: Yeah, um, it, I guess it goes back to the point that like, you don't have to have like, crazy A-B testing, yeah. you know, or millions of customers to get access to data. There's many ways to start to at least practice, you know, using data and forms and like, seeing how it how it changes or, impacts your design process, right? Um, and so uh, one thing is, uh, like, you would go about learning anything else. Like, you know, the Internet has lots of lots of people publish articles about things that they've tried at their company, the actual data that they've gotten back from those tests, and even just, like, reading those and familiarizing yourself with what's out there and what's been tried elsewhere is a form of starting to get to build the muscle yeah. of learning how to work with data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can easily go out and start to talk to customers and other folks about, like, What's working, what's not, and test yourself. I think this will have this impact mm. because of these reasons. So form hypotheses, form hypotheses, yeah. and then like go out and test those hypotheses. Mm. And you don't always need to test your hypothesis in an A/B test. Yeah, you can sometimes test your hypotheses by just showing it to other folks mm. yeah. and saying which one which one works better for you. Well, that's so interesting because I thought you would have picked the other one. Mm. Um, and I think I think another thing that um, I often like to think about is that. What that does for you is actually it helps you to hone your customer instinct. It helps you to hone your instinct about what will work or won't work with, with your consumers, right? And so every time you test so more, that, yeah. every time you test that hypothesis,
0: yeah. So the more yeah, often the more balance. often you're right, the more confidence you have totally. that you don't necessarily need to go back to numbers to know what decision.
2: To yeah, make. I mean, well, it just builds your gut, right? Yeah, and exactly. I, and I think the danger, though, of course, is that like. Uh, People are changing all the time. Right. The industry is changing all the yeah. time. So something that used to be right may now be wrong. Yeah. You know, so, it's always, so you do have to kind of stay in the system a lot and not get so cocky yeah. that you feel like I don't ever need to check with my, my customers about whether or not what I built for them is working.
0: So if you're proactively thinking about data before you start designing, yeah. it sounds like what you're saying is don't be reactive to what you learn. Try and presuppose outcomes, put hypotheses together yeah. so that you can build your gut. So it's, to do that, do you feel like the data capture process needs to come like, up front in the design process?
2: Yeah. I mean, but that's actually why you have to work so closely with your data friends. Yeah, sure. Because like they're going to help you say, like, oh, I think this is what I'm going to capture. I think this is the data I'm going to capture back from this design. Hmm. Do you see that? Is that? Is this an accurate way to do it? And by mm-hmm. the way, you have to work with your partners in tech and everything to make sure that your designs are properly instrumented, so that you're capturing the right data back.
0: Yeah, so in tech you mean engineers? Engineering, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So, and I'm guessing that not every designer that comes through the doors at Spotify is proficient in this method. So what do you you teach them? How do they learn how to become metrics and behavior centric?
2: I mean, we've actually talked about, as we grow, we've talked about whether or not we would put together an actual, like, I don't know, you know, not university, but like a training plan on it. Um, I know other places have actually done that. Yeah. Um, I think Riot Games has done that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, really, it's about like throwing them, just like getting into the mix and just mm-hmm. starting to do the work. Um, yeah. We actually did create a, a small team that was focused on like experimentation, best practices, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they'll embed with different groups to actually um, work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's really just through through sharing stories. You know, about when people have worked well with data, how it's supposed to work, and actually building a culture around that. Mm-hmm. That's how you get trained
1: here. I would argue that most companies are not data-driven and don't really involve it in their design decision-making, right? Instead, they lean more on internal relationships and senior people within an organization. I'm curious what you see are some of the dangers of working that way.
2: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, what you're referring to is uh, known as the hippo problem. Yes. And hippo stands for highest paid person's opinion. Yeah. Um, yes. And and as if that's the deciding factor yeah. in, in what people do or don't do. Um, so, I think the biggest danger is that um, the the ideas that get built are the ones that are voiced by the loudest person, you know, or the person who can argue the best, um, you know, or the person who has special advantages because of their seniority or their position. Yeah. Um, And what that means is that many times that that means that ideas from the bottom don't bubble up Mm -hmm. Right, so you may not be getting this diversity of ideas that could be coming from the larger organization If it's really just one person's voice or the person who can argue the best Mm -hmm. and you know, I would say that the skill of arguing the best Shouldn't be the determining factor in what gets built or not. It should be whether or not the idea is strong and if the idea is good so I think that um, what leveraging data does for an organization is that it helps you actually measure, you know, whether or not those ideas are having the impact that you believe they will have. And so at least in retrospect, even if you have a, a hippo or someone who is like, you know, always pushing their ideas through, yeah. if you can at least measure how successful those ideas are or aren't, yeah. you learn something about that, right? Yeah. So you start to have more clarity around like, oh, are those ideas, actually, those ideas are always awesome and they always do work, Mm-hmm. At least that then gives more confidence to the organization that this yeah. person is in that position for a reason and it yeah. makes sense. If they don't always work, then it opens up the opportunity for other people to start to throw in ideas, you know, that can get measured by the mm-hmm. same, um, you know, criteria. Criteria, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, how, how would a, a team go about identifying whether or not they have a hippo problem? Or do you think this is a, like an obvious thing that they just know?
2: It's not, but but that's for like, but usually the hippo doesn't realize that they're being a hippo, <laughs> ah, right? So, so, but that's why I think that like actually starting to be consistent and fair about measuring the yeah. impact of different ideas yeah. helps you get there. You know, we, we, um, we've done it here before and we, we've done it at Netflix is sometimes you take bets on how something's going to perform. Um, and, and then you place those bets ahead of actually launching the test and getting wow, the data yeah. back. Um, and then you can actually see, like, hey, what's my track record? Now, cool. It's, a little, it's cool, yeah. but it's also a little scary because yeah. you're kind yeah. of putting your... But I think in the interest of, like, hey, let's all learn together, yeah. you know, it kind of throws everyone in the same boat. And in yeah. some ways, it, like, levels the playing field.
1: Yeah. I'm curious. I, if I'm that designer in the room, that yeah. really quiet designer to the back, and yeah. the hippo is currently in the front speaking and just guiding the entire okay, conversation, yeah. What do I do like where do I how do I present this to the room to actually level that playing field
2: yeah I mean then you actually have to start by having a process where yeah. you're testing ideas against each other yeah. because then it doesn't feel that bad to say oh why don't we try something else at the same time yes right but that also implies that you have to have a little bit of the infrastructure in yeah. place to actually be able to test two ideas at once but it doesn't always have to be a B testing it can be oh well let's just build two prototypes you know I think this might have some possibility, let me just sketch up an alternative, and let's see how those work with each other. And then you get information back, and you can say, like, oh, when we got the test back, this one did perform better than this one, right? So I think it's really, you know, designers actually should always be generating multiple ideas and multiple proposals. And even if you're not battling a hippo, you should be coming up with multiple ways to get to the same solution Mm -hmm. and figure out which of those, you know, means was the most productive. Right, so so I think it's presenting it in that light. Yeah, here's an alternative idea, or here's another way we might approach it. Right, there's many ways to to get to the other side. Yeah.
1: So that designer just needs to be the facilitator and advocate. Yeah.
2: for that. And advocate for that. I mean, I think the organization needs to advocate for. Let's try. Let's get into the mode of trying lots of things. Why should we try lots of things? We'll learn faster. Sure. If we're trying different things at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, most organizations want to be learning organizations. Mm.
0: It's know. it struck me earlier when you said that. Generally, it's the hippo that doesn't know that they're the hippo. Yeah. Um, how would a hippo? Well, so if a hippo, <laughs> I identi- I we're gonna get like this, this like, yeah. clip where like, like I, I, I'm I, I a hippo yeah. <laughs> they're large water. Re, re, rewind <laughs> a few minutes, yeah. and and you'll get so the highest paid person's opinion, right? The moment they identify that they are the highest paid yeah. person and that their opinion tends to resonate more than others,
2: yeah.
0: what should they they do? Like, what's the right recourse um, yeah. for them at that point?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, self-awareness is so much. Yeah. And then I think that anyone actually who's in a leadership position, probably has this problem, yeah, okay. right? right? And so then it's just that you have to learn in which instances are you going to be more silent. Hmm. You know, maybe don't be the first person to speak. See all if right. someone else comes up with the same idea that you would have proposed.
0: And advocate for them instead, right? So like.
2: Yeah, although then your voice is still. You know, like, right. But it's just yeah. like, but I think it's just interesting to say, like, you know, like uh, sometimes you can be silent for a while. Yeah. And then if your idea hasn't come up and it's like the end of the meeting, then you can throw it out. There is yeah. like one that. one more alternative, but now it's like one of six. Yeah. It doesn't become the predominant one that everyone then gloms onto, yeah. right? So I think it's a little bit of self-control
0: yeah well, I, I I read somewhere I don't r- recall where but I read somewhere that uh, at one point you advocated for debating on your team so much that you actually had stand-up debates yeah, live what what is that story Tell us that story what yeah. is that
2: Well it actually started well it started at Netflix because I think Netflix has a strong culture of of debate yeah um and and it's just sort of like that process of, like, let's, let's have a, an argument about, like, or let's, have, let's get into a debate about, like, what's the best idea, yeah. right? And I think debate is uh, the right word, not argument, like mm. I said earlier, because um, it's really a vetting of ideas mm. that takes place, and so it's not personal, right? Um, and there's something that's, because of the academic nature of debate, that also makes it not, not personal. Um, but I think that debate is really important for designers for two reasons. One is, as a designer, you always have to be able to articulate your idea, and you always have to be able to, to logically argue for it and logically express why it makes sense, why your solution makes sense. Um, so that's definitely a characteristic that you or a skill that you develop when you debate. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, um, it, when you're actually doing a debate, you have to be a little bit open-minded to the other person's point of view. And you also have to be able to listen really well to what they're saying, mm-hmm. understand their argument, and react to it, right? And sometimes your reaction might be like, oh, actually, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes your reaction is like, oh, now I see why you're saying that. Actually, here's a different angle on that, right? Mm-hmm. You get a deeper understanding of what the what, what they're saying, you know, what their position is back mm-hmm. to you. Um, but designers uh, generally are not great at debate, yes. you know? Um, and there's a public nature to debate that is also uncomfortable. But honestly, we're in meetings all the time, yeah. and that is a public you know, yeah. expression of your, you know, your logic and your statement. So we, um, we've done a, a handful of these now here at Spotify um, where I'll, I'll pick some topics that we might debate, and they're usually actually contentious topics you know, mm-hmm. right That's now. Um, it might be like, you know, visual design doesn't really have an impact on no metrics or something like that. Yeah. Or is it, so things that they're hearing yeah. in, yeah. in oh, the okay. ether. Um, sometimes they're like cultural things, sometimes they're, you know, uh, more design problems or something. Um, we'll write them on a wall. So like each time we've done this, i mean like a handful of folks have shown up.
1: Uh, is it the same group of people?
2: No, it's like different okay. groups. The different groups will show yeah. up. And then like, so like I'll make like a yes, no, yeah. and like like shake it up in a bag and say like, okay, pick your side. So you don't know whether you're arguing for or against the statement, ah. because you have to get really good at arguing the other person's side. Yeah. And then so we'll they'll pick a question, we'll say you're either for or against this the statement. Yeah. And then they have like a minute to prepare, then each side That's makes great. their statement and then they get 30 seconds and they rebut each other. Um, and then usually what we do afterwards is like I have everyone kind of vote for who won the debate. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and then and then we say like, "Okay, why did you vote for so and so? Why did you yeah. vote for so?" It's very friendly, so it's yeah. not yeah. so, you know, like competitive. Yeah. And then um, we'll dissect and, you know, and even give them feedback like You know, you started really strong with this clear argument, but then you just went on too long. Right. You know, and you actually lost power of your argument because you did that. So we actually then start to give tips to each other about how to actually...
0: Did did this ever backfire where a designer argued... a wrong position so well that their bullshit meter went through the roof where the next time they spoke to their ideas oh, you, you had to know, question no, no, whether <laughs> yeah yeah that was yeah. Yeah, you're, like you're arguing way yeah. too well yeah. for this yeah. like,
2: no <laughs> I don't I don't know if we've had that no yeah, I figure that's an edge yeah.
0: case right yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's, it's pretty good and like a lot of folks are really nervous yeah. the first time they do it but then yeah. if they do it a couple times they get, you get better
1: how often do you do this?
2: I don't know we, we, we do it every we've done it um, like I said we've only done it maybe like Three or four times in total. So yeah. maybe every couple months or like yeah. whenever like someone will usually bring it up and say, like, you haven't done a debate in a while and go, okay, let's do one.
1: That's really cool though. And the goal of this is to get designers comfortable with arguing their ideas yeah, and just, understanding and, why yeah, they actually believe in like something.
2: Standing in front of a group and yeah. like being able to make their statement. So it's it's not just the logical, you know, expression of yeah. your beliefs, but it's also standing in front of a group. Making that point, having to listen to someone else and counter it. So it's all of those, all of really those cool. things. Yeah, it's pretty fun. What do you? What qualities
0: do you look for in the people that you hire?
2: Um, obviously, like good design chops. Like that's, that's the basic. And,
0: and but what what does that mean? Like the craft, your the yeah, look craft. and feel.
2: Uh, no, but also like you know, uh, UX. I mean, it's UX UI. It's it's you know all of those things. You know, like can you actually do the job of? Got it. Okay. You know, design. Um, I think that there are certain characteristics that we really look for. Um, So curiosity, I would say rates high. Mm -hmm. And it's curiosity about two things. One is curiosity about the business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, wanting to understand, uh, you know, how the business works. You know, what are the important things about that? It would be business strategy. Um, And that's because your design ultimately has to further the strategy of the company. Mm -hmm. So if you're not curious about, you know, that... How will you make sure that your work ties back together with where you're trying to go as a company? Um, and then curiosity about data because we, are, we talk a lot about it. So like, they should be open to like even if they've never worked with it before, like curious about like oh how would I do that? You know how can I do more? And I think curiosity is just like a great trait to have in general um, because it also doesn't presume that you you always know the right answer, right? I want to learn more about what you have to say. So,
0: and where do these designers? Where do you think? Younger, less experienced designers need to spend more time.
2: Oh, um, I mean, I think that there is there is something to be said about like just um, doing the work and getting better at solving different kinds of problems and getting experience in that way. You know, um, I think that's something that we've uh, we were talking having a conversation about this in the team recently. is like, you know, we there is something to be said for training yes you know and actually like being rigorous and disciplined yeah. about how you become a better designer yeah. right so i think when you're first coming out of school or when you're first getting into the um, into the industry yeah. being really thoughtful about getting better at the skill of design and you know solving problems and those sorts of things is where you want to focus your time
0: seeking mentors and stuff making yeah. sure that you're designing a lot
2: yeah, and just designing a lot and seeing as many kinds of problems as you can get exposure to, and and trying to to solve them. Yeah, um, and then maybe as you get more mature in the profession, then you start to think about how does that, how am I actively connecting that work mm-hmm. to strategy, or how am I yeah. actively connecting these skills to to other other disciplines and other functions? You know, mm-hmm.
1: um, is there a difference between uh, design teams' value and their principles?
2: <clears throat> I think that. Um, you know, values maybe are everlasting, yeah. right? And they're those things that I was like, curiosity is kind of a, a value that you might always want to preserve. Um, principles, I think, can, can might change over time. Mm-hmm. They should not go counter to your values, yeah. mm-hmm. right? That they, they go hand in hand. But um, the way that we've used principles here is that sometimes the principle might change depending on what is the biggest task at hand to solve. So principles, to me, serve as some sort of a North Star, Um, to align towards, to make sure that we're designing in the right direction, right? Um, And that we're not running counter to where we want to to go. Um, And values is maybe something more foundational.
1: Thanks again to Squarespace for supporting this show. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to get a domain, create a website, or build an online store. They offer domains with SSL certificates and Whois privacy that you can seamlessly connect to your Squarespace website or online store. They take care of everything for you. Nowadays, your domain is your online identity. It's the first thing people see when they visit your site. It helps build credibility, and honestly, it just makes you look more professional. So why mess it up? Squarespace offers an easy way to find a domain that works for you or your business. They even host it for you, all in one place. So if you've been thinking about getting a domain for your new project or personal site, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code HIGH that's one word, to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. We'd also like to thank our friends at Envision for their support. Envision is the world's leading product design platform, powering the future of digital design through their understanding of the importance of collaboration. They're used by some of the most innovative companies in the world, like Facebook, Capital One, Netflix, and Airbnb. I work with remote teams all the time, and i found that keeping a healthy dialogue is really important. Without it, building strong work relationships gets a lot harder, and that leads to poor collaboration. I've also found that prototypes are a great way for me to show my full vision for a design, and this helps cut down a lot of back and forth. Envision makes all of this really easy. You can rapidly prototype your designs and collaborate across every stage of your project, taking your ideas from concept to code. It simplifies virtually every aspect of the design workflow and makes collaboration a core part of the process for everyone, from project managers to designers, developers, and writers. Teams that build digital products are at a serious advantage when they use Envision's suite of prototyping and collaboration tools. It's the best way to get everyone on board. Visit envisionapp.com slash high resolution for three months free.
0: So Spotify now has got I'd say maybe, a world-renowned team. Like Everyone loves the design from Spotify. I certainly have seen it evolve for many years, personally. Um, what was the state of design when you came to Spotify a few years ago?
2: Um, so when I arrived, the design team was really small. Um, for product design, it was maybe like seven people. Um, wow. Yeah, and it was very small. How long ago was that? Um just over four years ago. Wow. Yeah, so we've we've grown a lot and um, and I would say the discipline of design wasn't well established at all. Sure. Um, there was actually no user research uh, team at all. So those are all oh, wow. things that we had to kind of establish. So really, really under-resourced, which mm-hmm. I think is actually a common problem at a lot of companies, is that yeah. design is often under-resourced. Um, uh, not very mature within the organization, just meaning that the discipline wasn't very established. So a lot of people didn't know what design was or how they should work with designers, things like that, and then I would say um, uh, probably the team just felt very fragmented in and of itself, so that that's pretty much the state of what it was like.
0: And I mean, you came from Netflix where you had a much more established design organization and research organization, so yeah. that must have been a shock.
2: Um, I think that well, no, it wasn't a shock because
0: you knew what you were I coming into, and I knew, what, I, I knew uh, what the
2: date was. You know, I think that um, I enjoy. Duh. Crap!
0: <laughs> 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 what did I walk yeah. into? <laughs> oh,
2: you know. No, no. So I think I mean like, but that's what's exciting sometimes about companies like like Spotify is that you help to build that you know journey together, and you help to establish the team, and and yeah. there's lots of opportunities in in establishing the team as, as much as there are like and. Uh, in working with a really established team, so mm-hmm. so those are the, those are the differences. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that the differences were team was just you know, how established was it? how much did people know how to work yeah. with with um, design as a discipline? Um, I would say that there are also some things that just like even creating best practices like, hey, let's have weekly all hands meetings. You know, at that time we were very small. And so like just getting into a rhythm of things like that mm-hmm. that just helped designers communicate with each other, those were all things that were missing that we we needed to get started.
1: What were some of the unforeseen obstacles that you that you came across coming in?
2: Oh I think I am um, not actually sure if I have a good answer for that. The you know what it is is that Sometimes, uh, when you come into a situation where you have to build something from scratch, it's not that the problem itself is difficult, it's that there's so many steps and so many things that you need to fix along the way, right? So it's it's so, oh, we don't have a lot of designers, that's really easy to address, let's just hire some. Oh, but we actually didn't even have a great established process for hiring designers. Mm -hmm. Okay, then let's establish that. Oh, actually, we don't have a you know a standard for how we do yeah. Yeah. you know or recruiting or we didn't have so so all of those little steps are very easy to solve because sure. the answer is very obvious. But when you actually have a lot of them piled up, then that's what starts to become uh, more challenging. So it might have been unforeseen and like okay, actually the the complexity is not that it's a difficult problem to solve. The complexity is in that there's many of these these things that we need to address and and then figuring out in what order do we attack them.
1: So you spoke about some of the things that you had to focus on when you came here at Spotify. But I'm curious what your first six months looked like and what you prioritized.
2: Yeah, so I think in the first six months there was a lot of just uh, actually understanding um, what was it that was unique to Spotify. You know, certainly like um, um, we have a strong uh, culture and like also it's a Swedish company. So... So for me, it was also about like actually understanding what it was like to work in a global organization Mm -hmm. like that, Um, really uh, listening and understanding to what were people's perceived problems and what were the real problems that people were having. And then, like I said, because we were so under-resourced, it was pretty clear that the first order of business was just to hire, Mm -hmm. you know, and and to bring in um, some of that design expertise from places where um, we had folks that, you know, were designing for millions and millions of customers Mm -hmm. and, and so forth,
0: yeah. Uh, when we, when you and I uh, talked before this interview, yeah. um, you told me a really cool story about the TP meetings. Oh, yeah, Is that yeah. something you could talk about? That would be a lot of fun to, yeah, which eventually sure. became TPD meetings and yeah. defining what all those yeah, letters yeah, yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so when I um, when I joined, like I said, because design wasn't established, yeah. Um, yeah. when there were um, all hands um, in the organization, there were tech and product all hands. Mm-hmm. So TP was tech and product. Um, And that, of course, actually makes total sense because there wasn't really a a design Mm -hmm. discipline that was established. But one of the things that we really uh, talked about, you know, I talked about with my tech and product counterparts, was that we wanted to establish this relationship, you know, because um, I I truly believe that the best products are built when you have tech, product, and design working together and working harmoniously together as a unit towards the same goal or to achieve the same mission. And we just bring different perspectives to that problem, but we have to... All be in sync about what is it that we're trying to solve and what is it that we're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. and so we would talk a lot about tech product and design TPD but like I said when I first joined we would have these all hands and it was called the tech and product all hands Mm. Um, and so you know sometimes the changes that you make are just very symbolic but simply just asking hey could we rename that meeting to the tech product and design all hands meeting was just an act of symbolism that we needed to do, and honestly, it's not as though I got any resistance to it. Yeah. it's not as though anyone objected. It's just that sometimes you just have to ask, and and no one will think to ask other than you. Yeah, yeah. right. So that's where you have to take. They're not
1: going to invite. You have to ask.
2: Yeah, and it's not that they would have resisted or had any, you know, issues with it. But you just, you know, have to have the courage to ask for things that sometimes seem so.
0: And it, it, it almost it almost feels like you need to humble yourself to to ask right because you don't want to seem trivial to yeah. the whole thing like because it, it it's like adding a letter to a meeting feels like a trivial thing totally. but in your I mean in that story that was it was everything to bring yeah. design literally to the table at yeah. these meetings right yeah, yeah. so did, so did you guys get up on stage and, and start showing designs yeah, like how yeah, did that work
2: no. so so one thing was I think when we started too like most of the subject matter. Uh, was presented by their tech or product yeah. uh, counterparts. One thing that I'm really proud of now is that when we have these uh, tech product design, like TPD all-hands meetings, mm-hmm. is you actually see an equal number of folks presenting from each of the disciplines, right? Yeah. And and I love it, actually, when we have presentations about one project and you have different folks from each of them talking about their purpose in the project, right? Or the, yeah. what they contributed, and you can see how it all s- comes together. Yeah. So I think that that's just like a... That's the thing that I'm actually, one of the things I'm really proud of is like being able to see all of those disciplines on stage together talking about the same mission or the same goal.
0: Uh, so if, if there's a say a design leader listening to this right now yeah. um, and they're kind of in the same position you were in a few years ago, sure. um, other than having the humility to, to walk up to someone <laughs> and say please intr- include me in these meetings, like is, are there any other tactics you might use here to, to make sure that design actually has a voice in these all hands?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, or, or in any, any project. Right? Really
0: any project, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, I do think that sometimes we feel like we can change behavior simply by talking sure. or by telling folks, like, I'm important, my <laughs> discipline is valuable, yeah. you know, trust me. Um, it works much better and much faster when you actually just get to doing the work. Yeah. Um, and so I think one thing is, um, you know, uh, find... Um, Find a problem that is really meaty that you are uniquely skilled and able to solve, right? Mm -hmm. So there's got to be a problem in your company right now that is um, that your unique skills as a designer, Mm -hmm. you know, you're especially equipped to help solve. Uh, Team up with someone, you know, in another function that is well-established or team up with someone who can be a strong ally for you, but also a witness to how much value you brought to that thing. Mm-hmm. And then basically like you kind of prove it, you know, yeah. um, by piloting this this way of working or mm-hmm. piloting, you know, what it is to have design in the conversation.
1: It's almost There's like a, a sponsor project or a sponsor yeah. person, individual.
2: Yeah. You know, so like I think find those teams or the group or those people yeah. that are especially open to like and hungry to work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, start there get some momentum, and then now you have something to point to that you can say, like, look, that actually worked well. Got
1: it. What is the design process at Spotify?
2: So we don't, we don't, I would say we don't have, like, a, a very, like, first do this, yeah. then do that, and mm-hmm. it's very prescribed. Um, I think depending on different projects that we've done, we, use, we do different things, yeah. right? So sometimes we have done um, design sprints. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're doing other things, and there's... I think we're still in this very much of a forming stage as a company, you know where as different as the environment changes, whether that's like competitive environment, or even like our team grows, mm-hmm. the process that used to work when you're a seven-person team doesn't work when you're a 50person team or doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't scale in that way. So we, we don't I, I can't say that we have like an exact ABC prescribed regimented process that
1: we. Have. What are some of the things that you try then? outside of, like, the design sprint?
2: So we do, um, uh, so one is that I think we we do a lot of uh, prototyping, asking people to come in, okay. you know, and and try uh, things out, uh, working closely, again, with, like, our partners, like, our data friends, like, yeah. whether they're user researchers or data analysts, mm-hmm. to to um, understand what it is that we're trying to capture, what's the information we're trying to capture. We do a lot of um, back and forth with, product trying things out before we actually go and ship. So prototyping um, those kinds of conversations, um, design critiques, like those are all things that I think most design teams do as best practices. I would say that we use a lot of those.
1: And Spotify has a testing lab, I hear.
2: Yeah, we have something. Um, we try to name everything like, like with music. Yeah. <laughs> so we have something called SoundCheck. Okay, um, and what SoundCheck is, is that um, it's run by the user research team. Um, Every two weeks, they run a soundtrack. It's all day long. They invite in um, customers from, like people from who may or may not be Spotify users into the offices. We do it in London, New York, and Stockholm, so you get a good perspective. And you just know that it's an open slot every two weeks that people can put things into test. So what's nice about that is that you can kind of count on every two weeks there's going to be an opportunity for me to get some stuff in front of customers. Awesome. And then we just they just kind of collect, okay, who's got stuff that they want yeah, to test this week? And
0: the researchers find people so the designers are focused on the work, not necessarily.
2: Uh, yeah, and well, designers are usually sitting in the room. Um,
0: uh, oh, with the researchers. Out. Oh, interesting. No, sorry, on
2: the other side, so uh, we have like yeah. a oh, the two-way way glass. We have one of those, yeah, one-way mirrors, oh, and one way so way like mirrors. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they're sitting on the other side, and they're seeing their work get tested, that's and awesome. like, and actually in that conversation, developers will join, and product owners also sometimes sit back there too. So like, you have the whole team that's working on on it, um, sitting behind the the glass and watching this stuff get tested. So it's just nice to have that rhythm. And of yeah. course, if there's a big project, yeah. then what we do is we. Um, Se- special sessions just to research that. Yeah.
1: So. And have there been any like crazy wins or outcomes from the Tussle lab?
2: I think there's always surprises. Yeah. There's always things where you're like, "Oh, I didn't think that was going to work that yeah. way" or or "Oh, oh, I was so sure that was going to yeah. that I nailed it" and yeah. like it was awful, right? So yeah. there's things like that yeah. that happen all the time.
0: I'm 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 gonna look at the camera now for a second and, and just let our community know that if you're listening and you hear a lot of noise, we are at Spotify HQ. It's lunchtime yeah. in New York City, so bear with us. Just keep listening, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if the if the sound is picking up, but I figure I figure that that'll be useful. Um, okay, so now we're gonna jump into some community questions. Okay, okay? so what we've done is we've reached out to our community. We've asked them to tell us what what what's on their minds. Sure. Um, we have five questions for you, and we're gonna start with uh, we're gonna start with this one here. Um, how do you explain the role of design to people in your business?
2: Right. Um, I think it's really important for people to, for designers to remember that, you know, what you're trying to do is really further the strategy of the business. Yeah. Right. So design um, helps you, you know, create an experience mm-hmm. um, uh, that actually expresses the strategy. Um, okay. That's generally how I put it.
1: The second question is how is the design team organized at Spotify?
2: Uh, so, so this is a little bit more complex, but, okay. but um, so we. I'll start with the smallest unit, which is we have these things called squads, mm-hmm. um, and a squad is made up of developers, product, and design, um, and so they're a unit that sort of works together to, you know, create the product, to build the product. Um, so every squad has a different, you know, mission. Now we have multiple, so there's a designer embedded in a lot of those squads. Uh, we have groups of squads. That form a tribe. (laughs) We have a lot of this, like yeah, Yeah. and and so the tribe has a larger mission that is probably you know all lines. We have a tribe that's focused on subscription business, for example, Mm -hmm. or a tribe that's focused on um, the ads platform, right? Mm -hmm. So those are two different tribes, Uh, and then we have those things grouped into a larger group called alliances. So the alliance is this larger mission, which is revenue, yeah, right. So we have um, designers at each of those levels. Right. And, and we talked earlier about the TPD uh, structure. There's a tech product and design lead at the tribe level. And there's a tech product and design lead at the alliance level. Um, And, and uh, we do have some uh, designers that are not associated specifically with one squad or or another um, and and can kind of float. Uh, But generally, you're still aligning towards some mission. Mm -hmm. Um, And then those different alliances have different constituents. So I was talking about revenue. Um, There's another one focused on consumer. There's another one that's focused on creators and their teams, mm-hmm. so artists and their teams. Um, so those are the, the different ways that we think about it. I'm and gonna,
1: as a go ahead. yeah, as a quick follow up to that, um, are can designers move between these squads?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that, that that's sort of like also natural career progression. Yeah. Is that I think yeah. sometimes you find that the kind of problem that one group is solving is you know would be better for your yeah. skills, and so you can move there. So yeah. we try to keep an open mind, you know, for that to happen.
0: I actually want to break from script from the community questions real sure. quick. Um, the way your team is set up, right, and the fact that you guys have two big offices, one in yeah. Stockholm, yeah. one in New York City, and uh, I know you hire designers in both yeah. locations. Uh, are there any interesting learnings between the relationship of the cultures of, of the United States and, and, and Sweden?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think um, sometimes when I get asked this question about cultural differences, people think it's sort of like, in the way that you work or your style yeah. like communication style or something yeah. like that yeah. um, and I think that for me the biggest learning about actually having designers in both offices is that it just makes you fundamentally more aware that there's a larger world out there right right and we have so many um, companies that are really headquartered or like only based in the U.S. or, or so headquartered in mm-hmm. the U.S. that the uh, American culture just dominates what we expect the rest of the world to sure. consume. Um, and I think it's been an interesting, for me, learning having been based in Sweden and having Spotify headquartered in Sweden to really learn that having a global perspective is much deeper than cultural stereotypes about, you know, people from this country yeah. are more aggressive or people from this country you know, are really uh, self-centered or, <laughs> you know, all of these right. sorts of stereotypes that you have, it actually goes deeper into understanding, like, your place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that what has worked really well in the U.S. or the things that we just sort of take for granted um, will not be this, the case for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And and really appreciating and understanding that is, is I think, the thing that has I've learned the most about those.
1: And as a quick follow-up to that, um, I'm really curious how Spotify teaches those understandings or those uh, lessons to people who come into this business mm-hmm. nowadays.
2: Yeah, um, one thing I will say is that we probably talk about it a little bit more just because yeah. there's so much self-awareness that the company is a, a Swedish, you know, yeah. based company. Yeah. So we often talk about how um, there haven't been a lot of these huge internet industry stars that have risen out of outside of the U.S. Yeah you know, or even outside of Silicon Valley to some extent. Um, and so I think that that actually feels like a point of pride for Spotify mm-hmm. to feel like we need to carry that torch mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so one is probably we are just a little bit more self-aware about that role that we play in the industry. Um, secondly, um, designers travel back and forth between, you know, we ha- we do have to work with each other yeah. in the different countries. Um, and so... Just the act of traveling to Sweden for work, you know, and having to go there as a, for business, not yeah. for tourism, right, makes you start to appreciate different things about it. And I think a lot of these subtleties are things that I can't tell you, but that you'll learn over you the course. You have to experience them. Yeah. Um, but luckily, we have enough exchange between those places that that, that happens.
0: Now, cutting back to the community questions. Okay, sure. here's the third one. Um, by the way, that was a well, like that segue was well yeah. worth it. Um, so, the next community question is: If you're the only designer in a company, how do you convince your company of the value of design?
2: Yeah, this actually goes back to some of what I was saying earlier, which is yeah. like just get to work. I'm, you know, yeah. like actually, like go find that sponsor or go yeah. find and like show the value mm. through the work that you do, and show that value by showing how you're actually making something better than it would have been without you there. Um, I think that's the best way to to convince, you know. And and I think also remember, like, remember that you're there to serve the goals of the company. And so when you talk about your work, don't talk about your work for the sake of the work. Talk about your work and how it furthers those company goals. Yeah. Right? So I can say, like, design is really important because it, you know, helps, you know, make sure that things are easy for all, you know, for all our customers to use. Yeah. So that we can gain market share, like yeah. you know, like just make sure you're clearly creating that bridge yeah. between the work that you do.
0: So the the narrative is less about design itself, more about
2: yeah, less about design for design sake. Yeah,
0: it's not pushing the pixels; it's pushing the business forward. That's yeah. the thing, right? And moving with this design-aware
1: mindset, yeah. how can a designer measure and present design results within their business?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's exactly the the same thing. Yeah. It's like then tie it to the, met- so what are, you know, you're in marketing, what are the metrics that you care about the yeah. most? Or you're um, in a different part of the business, what are those metrics that you care about the most? Well, let me tell you the story of how yeah. what my work does impacts those metrics. You know, let me make sure that that bridge between my work and and, and how it's going to be measured yeah. Yeah. is very clear that I have clarity around, around how they're tied together um, and that you then also understand it. Yeah. So I think that that's the most important thing in presenting the work is to always Uh, make sure that you know who you're presenting to and what they care about.
0: So we made it to the final question. Great. All right? Okay. Um, As the function of design continues to evolve, what are some roles and methodologies that will emerge over the next, say, five years?
2: Um, I don't know if this is answering your question exactly, but I I think something that I've noticed or something that um, I've spoken about with other design leaders um, is that there are certain skills that designers have Um, either naturally or that we have to develop if you're going to be successful, um, that are really, that really lend themselves to leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, how leadership is being defined going forward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so some of those skills are facilitation, Mm -hmm. like synthesis of ideas, Mm -hmm. you know, really being able to, because I think fundamentally design is problem solving, Mm -hmm. Um and so you can solve problems in a interface or you can solve problems, you know, in strategy or problems in organizations or problems in, in business. Um and I find that the designers who are aware of of that being the nature, you know, yeah. their job is like looking for patterns, you know, coming out with insights, emerging um with a solution that they can present articulately well clear storytelling. These are all things that I think we're starting to see in um, leadership that we appreciate the most. Yeah. Um, which has changed, I think, from what leadership used to look like ten mm. or twenty years ago. Mm. Maybe where leadership then was a little bit—it was you could rely a little bit more on command and control yeah, type of leadership, rather than like a rallying, you know, synthesis and storytelling kind of leadership. Yeah. And I think in. Um, so I think that that's actually a, a new role that we should be thoughtful about.
0: It's, it's about learning the. So if you're a designer, learn the skills that help you bring other people along yeah. in the process yeah. and and include them in the process. Like that's the.
2: Yeah, that's true, and I and I think that what that does is it sets a great foundation for becoming stronger leaders for the industry in general. Absolutely. And and not just like sort of, um, constraining ourselves to the realm of design. Yeah. Right. Cool. Okay. Wow.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: you. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me.
0: Hey, you made it to the end. Congratulations. Thanks for watching the episode. I really, really hope you liked it. If you did like it, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And by the way, if you have any questions that came up because of the content that, that we covered with our guests, go on YouTube, go on Twitter. You can tweet us. You can leave us a comment. We'll get back to you. We'll help you as much as possible. At hi Podcast. That's the the screen name or the handle for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook. Find us, talk to us, we wanna converse with you. Uh, We're not gonna leave here, by the way, without also thanking our friends at Searle Video. They've been an amazing partner on this entire project. So Searle Video is a creative studio based out of Portland, Oregon. They've helped creative communities tell stories for over 10 years. They've done advertisements, behind the scene footage, um, and documentaries for companies like Google, Slack, XOXO Festival, Adobe, Intel, they're incredible. They've traveled with us through the entire country documenting these stories with our guests. That's incredible, thank you so much, Searle. Listen, if you're a startup looking to elevate your product, if you're a big company looking to humanize your brand, if you're someone in the creative community who just wants to tell a story, you've gotta check out the team at Searle Video. It's searlevideo.com, S-E-A-R-L-E video.com. Check out our friends at Searle. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have been incredible on this project.